Hello and welcome to At The Source. Today's guest is Nadia Hamila. She's a British foodie of Moroccan and Tunisian descent who saw a widening gap in the market for North African food products and launched Ambora. Ambora is more than just a website selling products though. It's a space to learn about North African traditions, learn about sustainability and find recipes. The website and packaging on her products are themselves incredibly vibrant looking with colours like red, orange and yellow. So much so that I feel like you can almost smell the spices coming off the screen. Nadia has really captured the beauty of a culture and cuisine shaped over centuries by Berber, Arabic, Sub-Saharan, Mediterranean and French influences. Welcome Nadia, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Very excited. I've had a bit of a break with the podcast, um, just one episode um, last month. So it feels really good to be back chatting to to new people. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll have a, a good conversation. I'm sure we will. So before we dive into the story behind Ambora, I thought it would just be nice to chat a bit about your family background. Can you tell us a little bit about your parents and and kind of your your childhood? Yeah, of course I can. So uh, my mum is from the northern part, the most northern part of Morocco, which is Tangiers. And my dad grew up in uh, central Tunisia. So they both came here in their late teens. My mum and her siblings grew up in a small, very English compound and was part of only two Moroccans family living there. And my dad came here for uni. So they wanted to go somewhere different that wasn't France and didn't want to follow the crowd. They met here um, in the 70s. And that's how that's more about my parents. We used to go back quite often for um, our holidays because obviously my parents wanted to see their families. So we always used to alternate school holidays between Morocco and Tunisia, which a lot of my school friends were jealous about. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yes. And yes, um, and that that's it. So, you know, my parents have been a strong influence and going having that strong you know, visits to Morocco and Tunisia was very, you know, important bringing and knowing, you know, our background and our culture. Certainly sounds, um, with the holidays going back and forth, a little bit more exciting. My holidays as a kid were like caravans in Norfolk, (laughs) (laughs) where I don't think the food was particularly exciting beyond maybe fish and chips. So do you have a favourite food memory from your childhood? I've got many, but the one that stands out is this um, yogurt drink called Raibi Jamila, which translates to like beautiful yogurt. And whenever I see this product, it's a typical Moroccan yogurt drink. It's got, it's like bright pink with like full of sugar. It's like grenadine syrup. So it's got this bright pink and you can imagine being a five, six year old being seduced by this yogurt drink. And the thing I loved about it was the fact is that you turn it upside when you buy it because it's quite a runny yogurt. You turn it upside down, chew off the corner bits of the yogurt pot, and we would drink it like that. And it's something whenever I see it in the supermarket, it's one of my. It just brings the nostalgia, all the memories, and puts a huge smile on my face. So whenever it's it's the most joyful part of when I was in Morocco was seeing this drink because I just remember the summer holidays of playing in the streets, playing with friends. And we always used to have this drink, this yogurt drink to keep us cool. And I remember clearly this one of the shop um, near my grandmother, my grandparents place, he used to freeze them. And he would cut them into like small ice cubes and we used to go and buy them for like a penny or two penny on this toothpick, which you wouldn't obviously get today, especially in the UK. And it just, you know, there's nostalgia, those things of being so excited of getting that. Mm. That was like the thing I always wanted to to have was this sugary yogurt drink, especially when it's cold. (laughs) 
Sounds really good. Yeah. So you're kind of running around playing and getting really hot and sweaty and then you can go and have these frozen yeah. chunks of yogurt. It sounds lovely. Yeah. And you can imagine being a, a small child that's like, you know, you don't want meat, you don't want vegetables, you want sugar and something colourful yeah. and cooling. <laughs> yeah. And if it's bright pink, all the better. Exactly. <laughs> so I imagine that as a child, the food that you ate in the UK must have been quite different to what you were eating when you were in Tangier and Marrakesh. Yes and no. It wasn't that much different because we would still eat quite a few like tagines and Moroccan or Tunisian food here in the UK. But what was different was that the more laborious dishes, we didn't eat those as frequently. So, for example, um, so every Friday we, in, in traditionally in North Africa, every Friday we would eat couscous um, as we would have a Sunday roast here in the UK. And that, because of the preparation, it literally takes a whole morning, like three, four hours to prepare that dish, uh, to obviously to have it ready for lunchtime. We we didn't have the time, obviously, the, the rhythm of living here in the UK was different to Morocco. We wouldn't have the time to prepare those sort of dishes. So those are the things that we traditionally didn't eat here in the UK. And that's something that we, you know, it's one of those things that you really look forward to eating when you go in back home is to have those uh, type of dishes. But because we were lucky, because obviously we were going to Morocco, Tunisia quite frequently, we we're bringing back some ingredients with us and being you know grew up here in London we're very lucky that we had places such as like Southall so my parents you know would go there and buy lots of spices and so we didn't have to miss out on cooking um a lot of the dishes that we wanted to eat back home but we did eat a lot of other cuisines so I remember you know us cooking Chinese quite often English or my mum would try and do you know like an English twist on a tagine so like passing some chestnuts in a nice tagine you know and just you know bringing those fusions in early on. Yeah. I was going to ask whether it was hard for your parents to get hold of the ingredients that you would typically see in dishes um, in North Africa when they were in the UK, but it sounds like some of the stuff was available. And obviously now with Ambora, all sorts of things are available and uh, North African cuisine is is much easier to make kind of authentic versions here in the UK, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's more more common. North African cuisine, there's no real specialist ingredient you need it's it's knowing to balance all the ingredients together and hence what it's that technicality which a lot of people don't have and that's where they go wrong with uh, certain dishes because they come to me and say I don't know I couldn't recreate that I don't know how to make this and that's what I wanted to do with Ambora just to make that easier. This is probably a really hard question because I kind of touched on it in the intro that the cuisine is shaped by so many different influences. But what do you think makes Moroccan food so unique? It is a very, very hard one because obviously it's been touched by many influences. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The thing I would say about Moroccan cuisine is it's aromatic. It's well presented. It's colourful. That's one thing you can say. And I think it's the balance of the flavours and what Morocco's done well in cuisine compared to its other North African counterparts is that, you know, getting it spot on with the balance of sweet and savoury, which a lot of other cuisines don't do or can't do. In Morocco, they seem to have got it right. So, for example, you would have a couscous, which is loaded with chicken and vegetables, and then you'd have this like caramelised onions on the top with raisins and prunes or, you know, um, sultanas. And, you know, you've got in one bite, you've got, you know, beautiful sweet and savoury, you've got a bit of chicken, a bit of vegetables, a bit of couscous, and then these caramelised onions 
like you would have, say, in you know, some French cuisine, in one bite. Mm. And that I think that's what makes it so unique. And it's not just to couscous, there's so many other dishes that you've got this sweet and savoury. And I think that's quite a uniqueness in some cuisines to be able to perfect those balances in flavours. Definitely, because it is quite hard to get that right. Mm. And I've definitely eaten food when it's been a kind of a meat and a fruit. And I've thought, ooh, that's, that doesn't quite work. Yeah. But actually, I've had some really delicious tagines and Moroccan food where it works so perfectly together because I think certainly for um, an English palate or a British palate, that idea of mixing raisins and dates with chicken, for example, is quite alien because we're we're taught that you eat your fruit and then you eat your savoury. I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the things that's quite unique. For example, you know, in Morocco right now, quince is in is in season a lot of people don't know how to cook quince but you know morocco we eat we're very seasonal people so whatever the fruit or vegetables in the season is kind of what you will see you know on the menus or on people's tables at homes and you know traditionally now you'll see a lot of tagines i would meat or chicken with caramelized quince with um, orange blossom water sometimes dates cinnamon and it's just that like caramelized, and then you've got the spices. So you have ginger, you have a bit of turmeric in the the spices with some black pepper, and it just knowing that technicality of balancing those flavors, which makes a really good meal. Oh, it sounds amazing! And we're recording this as we kind of head towards lunchtime, which is <laughs> which in hindsight yeah. was a bit silly, but there you go. Let's talk about Ambora, uh, your business. So. You launched during the pandemic, yeah. and I definitely want to find out how that was for you. Yes. But before we talk about that, can you tell us a bit about where the idea came from? Yes, it came from two directions. Uh, so basically, I had my daughter and realized I wanted to do something different. I was always being entrepreneurial. I've always worked in startups and enjoyed those uh, environments. At the same time, I had people who are working with and some friends who were traveling, especially to Marrakesh, because it was a very, very popular destination coming to me and saying I want to recreate the dish that I you know I ate in Marrakesh but I can't seem to find anything you know how can I recreate this dish because they tried you know a couple of times and it just didn't look didn't taste right so I would you know get my spices at home give them a blend and say listen just just use this blend and you don't need to add anything else. Just use these spices, nothing else, and then you'd be fine. And they came back to me and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it was spot on to what the flavors that they had back in Morocco. Mm. And I really didn't think anything of it at the time. And then I had my daughter and thinking, you know, me and my husband say, you know, we want her to learn her culture. We, she needs to learn um, where she's from. We don't want her going back to Morocco and saying, oh, I don't want to eat that or I don't understand this. So... You know, we're making more of an effort of cooking Moroccan at home just for yeah. her to get used to those flavors. And then one day I was in a food market and I saw this beautiful lady producing cooking sauces and selling these on the stores with so much passion. And literally it just hit me like a light bulb. And I just said to my husband, I was like, I know what I want to do. And I literally just turned to him and I was like, oh, my God, this is it. And then I just bought all my research and everything went from there. <laughs> Amazing. It was literally a lightning bolt moment. Yeah. I'll never forget that moment. It sounds as though with your friends as well, it was that balance that you're talking about that you knew instinctively from your childhood, from your 
family the balance that was required to get that flavor right. So essentially you're helping people out by doing that very difficult bit of mixing the spices in the exact right way to recreate the flavors as they should be. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, and that's a demand because that's just social proof in terms of people wanting the product is the fact that I had other people who said, I can't find anything in the market. I want to create this dish, Mm -hmm. yet there's nothing in the market that helps me create this dish. And it was just bringing, you know, that light bulb moment was just literally bringing everything together. So you'd had the light bulb moment, you knew that this is what you wanted to do and you were prepping for your launch of your business and then the pandemic hit. Yes. (laughs) So how did that affect the way that you wanted to launch your business? Um, It affected it in a very, very big way. Um, I was very, very disappointed. But in hindsight, Mm. I do believe there's, you know, a silver lining and there's a reason that it happened. So I went up to the factory that was going to produce my sauces through my own recipes. And then when the pandemic hit and literally we were going to launch just shortly after March last year. And he said, Nadia, I literally cannot launch anything new my capacity has to go with existing clients mm-hmm. and there I'd you know I'd geared up everything I was completely you know heartbroken at the time but I thought no let me just take this time and because at the same time I was learning from other businesses because they were scrambling they didn't know what direction they didn't know what to do, what they were going to do some people lost you know a big chunk of their business because their business was food service they're supplying to restaurants and other other areas that are food to go And they completely lost that part of the business. And I was like, okay, I'm quite fortunate because if I had gone into that area just two months before, I could have been quite stuck. Mm. So it took me time to reevaluate, to learn from what other businesses doing, the other businesses were doing, and then reassess my strategy and actually change my strategy. So really, if you had have launched a few months earlier, it might have been a much more difficult process because as you say so many existing businesses were so badly affected and I guess the the fact that you sell pre-mixed spices and sauces at least means that you could you could rely on online yes exactly so so you said that you changed your strategy yes how how did it differ from what you originally thought that you would be doing Well, at the beginning, I did not think at all I did not want to do online at all it wasn't in my strategy to sell any of my products online. My my website's on WordPress and I'm in the process of shop, moving over to Shopify because I realise people want to buy some of the products online. And it's surprisingly how many people actually want to buy spices online. I'm quite surprised about that. And it's that process of, you know, people willing to pay for the postage to have it, you know, delivered directly to them, which I thought wasn't going to be what people would do. But I think COVID has really changed the way some people have, you know, starting to purchase their foods or stuff that they really, really want and want to support smaller businesses even more. I totally agree with that. So originally you were thinking market stalls, being out and about, meeting people. uh, And now obviously your website is a huge part of of your brand. Yes, definitely. It was a big shift. So I I added the WooCommerce part to, which is the shopping part to um, the website. So it wasn't just like a blogging type website. It was to be able to have the, to be able to purchase from the website. And now I'm literally redesigning the whole process of moving it to Shopify because it's just going to be easier 
to uh, manage the inventory and sell online. So now that things are opening up and hopefully Touchwood continue that way, do you think that you'll go for a hybrid approach where you do a bit of both? Or do you think now that you're established online, that might be the way that you continue? No, definitely a hybrid approach. Um, People are not buying online as much as they were during the pandemic because they're going back to the to the shops to the supermarkets to buy their food of what the ways Mm -hmm. most people were buying before the pandemic is just online and certain applications have 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 helped people do that Um, but I'm definitely going for a hybrid approach whereas before the pandemic I was literally just looking at bricks and mortar and not really looking online so definitely a hybrid approach Mm -hmm. moving forward. In a way it's um it's worked out quite well that you do have those two angles to your business so maybe a, a small silver lining from the pandemic if we can if we can take it that way uh, yeah and that's how I take things generally in life I, I I do get upset like at the moment but then I literally assess it and I think there's a reason why this happened and I've got to learn from it it sounds like you've definitely got the right approach most of our listeners will have a basic understanding of North African cuisine uh, perhaps more than a basic in understanding because obviously this is a food podcast and everyone that listens just loves food. But beyond the best known dishes like tagine and couscous, which you've already talked about, what should people be trying? What should they be seeking out? Tagine and couscous, apart from that, in Morocco, I would say things like bastilla, which is kind of like a chicken pie that's mixed with almonds, eggs, seasoned like sprinkled on the top with ice and sugar and cinnamon so against that sweet savory um aspects uh soups in morocco we got obviously the, the famous one called harira which people know it's the moroccan chickpea soup but it's literally a meal in the soup because it's usually got lamb chickpeas lentils rice pasta everything in it it's really really lovely and it's something that i really enjoy eating other things that we have so much in north africa is vegetables and um, we make so many dishes from vegetables so it's like the fresh salad as well as the cooked salad so you have one for example called zaluk which is cooked aubergines with tomatoes mm. and or you cauliflower and tomatoes another one called taktuka which is the same tomatoes and peppers and literally when you serve you know especially in morocco a table you would have you know like a cucumber salad a, a cooked carrot salad you know some zaluk you wouldn't have just one dish it's kind of like a colorful collage of dishes on the table and it's just you know that's what makes Moroccan cuisine quite unique is that colorful tables that's presented in in the home and in restaurants but especially in the home that all sounds delicious I think I love eating Moroccan food but I don't know that I know that much about it um I've definitely haven't experimented as much in my own kitchen as I should and will do after speaking to you (laughs) but I think I quite often imagine the cuisine to be quite meat heavy and maybe that's because I'm thinking of things like lamb and chicken tagines but actually it does sound as though it, it isn't necessarily that on a huge on a table where you've got all these different dishes you might have that one element and then there's a lot of vegetables that accompany it which it just sounds oh it just sounds really good it's making me hungry again <laughs> yeah. I mean it's very easy if you were to go to Morocco it's quite easy apart from the tagines I mean you can make a vegetarian tagine very very easily obviously you just take out the meat element and the same with the soup you would just take out the meat as long as they haven't added like a tablespoon of butter which is very rare that they do um, practically everything else is vegan I mean my grandparents hardly ate meat at all it was lentils it was broad beans like a lot of pulses 
and lots of vegetables. And my granddad lived till 98. So it works well for him. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Absolutely great. I definitely um, need to have some Moroccan food after this. Just going back to your website briefly, you obviously have a lot of blog posts and recipes on there as well as your products. How important is it that you build that community aspect to your business? You know, that this is a place that people can come and, and read about things as well as just doing their, their shopping. It's really important because generally North Africa and the history and the culture about North Africa and Morocco is widely unknown. And people mix as well North Africa and they think, oh, it's part of the Middle East when really it's not. It's a region on its own. And I think just because we speak Arabic, they just consider all, you know, there's over 20, 20 countries in the Arab world that we're all just part of the Middle East when we're not. And we have our own, we have our own cultures, our own mm -hmm. traditions, which people in the Middle East have no idea about. Um, our language is different, even though we speak Arabic, it's a completely different dialect. And if I go to, you know, Dubai or something like that, they will not understand a word that I say. I'll understand them, but they won't understand us because our, our dialect is mixed with Spanish, with French, um, with Berber. Um, and that's where our ancestors are from. You know, we're, we're technically Berber people, Amazigh, and that's the difference. People, I want people to learn about the North African culture um, alone, and it's not part of the Middle Eastern. And these are completely two different cultures which work well together, but that for the North Africans to stand alone as one region. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And there are actually some really interesting posts on there about traditions and and things that. Uh, happen and you've kind of explained them in more detail, which I've really enjoyed reading. So I would urge people who are listening to this who want to find out a bit more to go and have a look. And obviously I'll share the links and everything so people can do that. Um, you also talk on your website um, and generally about sustainability. So why is that so important to you? So sustainability has always been important to me. Even when I was doing my degrees at uni, I always did my um extra modules you know you could choose any subject you wanted to and at the time it was called corporate social responsibility and I always did you know extra modules in either business ethics or corporate social responsibility and it was just wanting to know how we can be good as you know working in businesses and still do good whether it's just by the people and you know or by the world or you know the environment etc and you know I was really really you know, privileged to actually win a scholarship to attend a, a corporate social responsibility um, expo in the, the Dubai with everything paid for. And I just met all these amazing businesses doing so much good that is went unreported and unwritten. So, and I wanted to always carry that on. And I always try to find a way of us, you know, my work every day doing that. So when I started Ambora, I named the business after my daughter. Um, her name's Amber and Ambora is a nickname for her. And, you know, it's in her name and she's the future. And it's how can I make sure that, you know, the practices that I want to put in, I can keep them in there. So I, you know, I've used just packaging for, you know, recyclable packaging for all my products. I try and work from home. I reduce travel, anything that I can reduce. I, I do it. And also because I've named it after my daughter, I don't want her growing up and saying, why did you build a company and you didn't do that as well? So it's, you know, it's kind of reporting to her in the future yeah. that I'm trying to do good with business and show good business practices through my company. 
such a nice way of putting it is that you're reporting to her and obviously her generation is the future. It's a shame that more companies don't follow this approach really. But I mean, you know, that's a separate podcast entirely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it is great to hear. So one more question about your business and then I've got some questions from some of our listeners. So the the last one from me before I kind of hand over to them in a way is you, you've talked a lot about launching and running a business. And obviously you mentioned earlier that you've always worked in kind of entrepreneurial uh, environments. If any of our listeners are thinking of doing something similar, and again, this is a huge question. I'm, I'm very good at throwing these massive questions in, but what would be your best advice? I would say start slowly. Things will not happen at the speed that you expect them to. Learn from your mistakes and learn from others' mistakes. So it's good to network, be belong to a network of people and seek advice from other people because they've been there, done that in your own shoes. And, you know, make a plan and you don't have to stick to it, but let, let it guide you because there's no point of starting a business without a plan and seeing if it's going to work. Um, have, so have it as some sort of guide and some sort of target that you want to reach. Brilliant advice. So essentially be um, be organised, don't rush into it and be prepared for things to change along the way, which obviously for yes, you was a, <laughs> a huge thing um, with, with the pandemic. So yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. So I, I say I'm going to hand over to my listeners. It's still me, but I put a picture of some amazing food from your Instagram on my social channels and had a lot of people commenting about how amazing it looked um, and a few people asking questions. So I thought I'd, I'd, I'd stick them in and, and, and throw them at you. So the first one is from Casey in Cardiff, who's actually another food blogger who I know quite well. Uh, and she asks, if I had the option to try one North African dish and I guess one only, what should she choose? I would say Bastila, which is the famous chicken pie. So it's pulled chicken with Moroccan spices. It has some scrambled eggs. It has, I put caramelized almonds in it and then wrapped up in filler pastry sprinkled with sugar and icing sugar and cinnamon on the top. And so you've got that perfect combination of savory and sweet in one bite. So how would you eat that? Would you have it as a, a slice on its own or would you serve it with some couscous, a salad. Is it um, a main meal item or is it like a snack? No, it's a main meal item. So normally it's it's quite big. So it would be, you know, 30, 35 centimetres big. That's how, normally how it's served in traditionally. <laughs> not, no, a it's not a snack. But we, like I do buy it as a snack and we make them quite small as a snack and in the freezer that if we want we're hungry we can just put it in the oven so you can have it as a snack mm. but you know traditionally these are eaten for weddings or celebration and it's the one dish that everybody looks forward to because you've got just a combination of textures a combination of, of flavors in one dish so you've got the crunchiness from the pastry oh, the soft succulent chicken because the chicken takes you know one to two days to to make and then you've got the almonds, the crunchiness on the almonds, and it just all comes together so well. So that's the one. That's the one, Casey. That's the one. So next question is from Christina in Florida, which is very exciting um, that someone in Florida is listening to the podcast. So thank you. What are the primary spices to have on hand? And what is the easiest way to give your meal a Moroccan twist? Um, 
Oh, to go for the latter. The easiest way to give Moroccan twist is to have some a good Rasul Hanout, um, a good Rasul Hanout. So that is like the main Moroccan spice blend. And what you do is you would use that spice blend and then depending on the dish that you're going to make. So, so for example, it's a tagine with... Um, Tajine with potatoes. I'm just going to do very, very chicken with potatoes. So you, you use the Russell Hanout and then you add maybe a little bit of turmeric, a little bit of ginger, just to balance the flavours into one direction. But if you're going to have the chicken with quince, for example, or carrots, something a bit sweeter, then you would add a little bit of cinnamon. So you just want to enhance those flavours of the vegetables that you're going to put in the tagine. The same thing with Russell Hanout, you can just use it on its own and just mix it with a little bit of olive oil and rub it on some lamb. And that's another easiest way, but it usually has um, some turmeric in it, some ginger, some black pepper, sometimes nutmeg in it. And it's those flavors that come out. Cumin is another one. Sorry, I forgot about that one. Cumin. And, and those are the easiest ones. So I would say Russell Hanout and then add um, turmeric, ginger, black pepper and cumin and paprika. Fab. So actually all of those spices are relatively um, easy to get your hands on. There's nothing in there that's really scary. But again, it's, you know, having the Razel Hanout or a spice mix that, that you sell, it's that getting that balance spot on. It seems like that's what it always comes back to is the skill of, of the balance. Yes. You've got to know what what is that, that, that the flavour that you're trying to achieve and then you work backwards. So if it's going to be something sweeter, then you want something, you know, a bit of ginger to have that warmth, cinnamon, and that brings out the sweetness of the the, the, the vegetables in the meal. Amazing. Sound or just sounds so lovely. So one more question, and this is from Sally um, in Gloucestershire, so not too far from me here in Bristol. So she says that she loves the Libyan potato dish, and I, I really hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Mbutin. Uh, she had it cooked for her when she was there, and she asks, is there a similar dish in Moroccan cuisine? Uh, there is a similar one. It's not the same as Mbutan, but um, we have in Morocco called Makoda, which is the nearest thing to it. It doesn't have meat because it's basically, if you think it's Mbutan um, is like a potato cake for people who don't know what Mbutan is. Mashed potatoes in a cake and the Libyans, what they do, they um, put uh, minced meat, flavoured minced meat in the middle bind it in flour and egg and then fry it oh wow in morocco we have the same thing but we season the potatoes really well so you have garlic parsley coriander um and some other spices in there and then we'll bind it in a you know egg and um, breadcrumbs or just flour and you have it as a snack um you can just dip it in some harissa some chili sauce on the side and some people actually put it in sandwiches to have to, to be able to take you know on the go that sounds lovely um, I would say that's the nearest thing that you can have I guess that's um, something we touched on earlier isn't it about the the North African and Middle Eastern areas of the world being kind of sometimes lumped in together but actually mm. being different at the same time that does sound well both versions sound lovely actually give me a potato any day of the week and I'm happy <laughs> yes <laughs> so to finish and this has gone by so quickly, this conversation, but what's next? So what does 2022 hold for Ambora? 
Uh, well, exciting times coming ahead from Bora um, now that obviously that I've set my strategy. So I'm literally about to launch four cooking sauces. Uh, one of them is a shakshuka, so it's like a tomato-based sauce that you'll be able to just make your Sunday brunch or a tomato-based tagine. Another one's called a hearty tagine sauce, so it's to make those more sweeter um, base for tagine, so like meat and carrots or sweet potatoes. Another one's a preserved lemon tagine sauce. And then the final one is a zesty chambula sauce, which is more of a zesty and herby type um, tagine bases. And they're all being perfectly balanced um, and they in the process of getting done right now. Um, and in the, just afterwards, I'm releasing some condiments and some harissa and preserved lemons. And that's what I'm working on for 2022. Fantastic. Which will be Moroccan mania. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll be out and about at markets, hopefully, but also these products should be available on your website as well. Yes, they'll be available on websites and other online marketplaces as well. So I'm trying to get them on everywhere as possible. Oh, it sounds great. Oh, thank you so much, Nadia, for joining me this morning. It's flown by, but it's been absolutely fascinating. And I think this has been one of the tastier sounding podcasts that we've had for a while because you've talked through so many of the delicious dishes and spices and flavorings. So it's been absolutely wonderful. And as I said, there will be show notes attached to this episode that will have links to the website, some of the articles that we've mentioned and some of the dishes as well. And of course, obviously, uh, listeners can go and get their hands on some of these perfectly blended spice mixes as well. So thank you so much, Nadia. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to atthesource.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts and you'll find over 60 episodes waiting for you. I record conversations with people from all walks of life in all sorts of food-related careers with one thing in common, passion for food and drink. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to subscribe and rate us five stars. Even better, leave a review. That'll help more people find out the source and make me one happy woman. I'll be back next time with Guy Coombs of Dickinson & Morris and Chef Callum Franklin to talk all things pork pie. Until then, stay hungry. Mm -hmm.